and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we talk about a grants paper that came out of AGA a little while ago, and uh, we'll give you a link to it on the site here. But uh, we talk about some of the survey results, we talk about monitoring award recipients, sub-recipients, cost principles, procurement, internal controls, all that good stuff. Let's uh, sit back here and listen and learn a little bit something about our grants survey. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So today I'm happy to have with us here in the room. We have four folks in the room that all contributed to a a great AGA uh, survey around grants. It was called the uh, National Grant and Cooperative Agreement Recipient Uniform Guidance Implementation Survey. So that's quite a mouthful there. But let's uh, start off here with our uh, contributors. Let's start here with Bert. Yes, my name is Bert Nearing. I'm a partner with Crow LLP. Okay, and we have Andrea. Hi, I'm Andrea Brandon. I'm currently the Deputy Assistant Secretary within the Department of Interior for Budget, Grants, Finance, and Acquisitions. Great, and we have Mike. Hi, this is Mike Peckham, and I am running the reInvent Grants Management Program at Health and Human Services. Great, and Jim. Hi, I'm Jim McKay. I'm uh, currently a senior principal with Mantech International and former inspector general and deputy CFO of grants uh, at the Office of Justice Programs and the co-author of the Grants Management Body of Knowledge. Great. Well, welcome, everybody. (coughs) So why don't we start off with Bert. Um, Why don't you give us a little bit of background on why you all did the survey and uh, a little bit about what you found out? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, the survey came out of uh, efforts of the AGA's uh, corporate advisory group, um, the um, cor- corporate partners advisory group, rather, the um, uh, accounting and auditing committee. And the purpose of the survey was to better understand the common implementation challenges and our areas of noncompliance across recipients of federal funds with respect to the uniform guidance. So now tell us what, uh, who, so again, who was part of the survey? What was your audience? So the audience of the survey um, was varied. Uh, we first turned to a number of organizations within the federal government to help design the survey, and that included OMB, GAO. Uh, we also sought help from uh, Congress as well as Inspector General offices to understand uh, where the survey, um, where the survey questions should go and who should be surveyed. Uh, survey recipients then included various individuals at the state, local, as well as not-for-profit higher ed mm-hmm. uh, levels uh, who are the primary recipients of federal funds. Uh, also included some sub-recipients of federal funds. And we largely utilized the base of um, uh, NASACT uh, and AGA uh, chapters in order to identify survey recipients. Great. Well, and... Uh yeah, and folks here listening in, if you want to go to AGA site, if you're a member, you can go to the survey series and uh, and download this. Maybe you can, you know, follow along as we talk about it. But um, so for those of you that don't have it in front of you, though, what were some of those uh, high level uh, findings you guys had there? Yeah, so from a high level standing finding standpoint, uh, we had uh, four main areas that we we found to be uh, key results of the survey. First being uh, the monitoring of award awardees as well as uh, sub-recipients of grants. Um, monitoring of those can, can present some challenges including the lack of training and guidance, a lack of adequate staffing or experienced staffing to perform those uh, reviews, 
as well as the determination on whether an organization that is receiving federal funds should be considered a subrecipient or should be considered a contractor of those funds. Uh, secondly uh, was the understanding of cost principles. Cost principles is an important aspect of, of grants whereby um, in order for costs to be uh, reimbursed or advanced by the federal government to a recipient, those costs need to be allowable. Those costs also need to be uh, appropriately documented. And so one of the challenges um, is the complexity of implementing cost principles. Also with provisions of indirect costs or cost allocation uh, efforts, there are some complexities with the administration of that aspect. And so the recipients um, re responded with some concerns about the ability to properly comply with those particular uh, elements of the cost principles. Procurement has been another area uh, that was noted uh, as a high-level issue. And that primarily is around the, the elements of what rules do you follow? And so there are various federal rules that are that are there as far as the the uh, procurement guidelines state or local level uh, authoritative guidance may also contradict what's in the federal guidance and so understanding which guidance that you use uh, and so that has presented some um, you know with regards to that lack of uniformity of some of the of the policies and procedures presents some challenges and then the fourth general area in the survey that was identified was around internal controls. And that also relates to the ability of staff to understand the importance of controls as it relates to grant programs. Uh, there's also a lack of detailed guidance around internal controls as well as the ability to utilize information technology to support grants systems and some of those controls may not be in place to properly support the application of the grants activities at the uh, state, local, as well as other levels of uh, the recipients. Okay, and actually I'm going to throw something out to the folks in the room here. So we talked about some of the major uh, uh, you know, areas where we're having some difficulty. So monitoring, cost principles, procurement, internal controls. I mean, is this uh, kind of lined up with what you all see out there in practice? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, we actually uh, monitor uh, major research uh, operations across the globe. And uh, if I recall, Bert, um, with respect to the internal controls, I think 60% of the respondents stated that their controls were not well documented, wow. uh, which was frightening considering the amount of money uh, that's out there, over $800 billion in grant funds. Um, and it's consistent with what we find uh, when we go out and do monitoring. Uh, even uh, major organizations, typically the, the, the mothership, which might be the university at large, typically they're pretty well documented. Mm -hmm. They've been in business a long time. They get clean financial statement opinions. But when you actually get to where the rubber hits the road, where people are implementing the programs, many times there's absolutely no documentation and mm -hmm. folks are flying by the seat of their pants. Wow. How about you guys? I would say from a federal perspective, um, we have things set up throughout the different federal agencies to ensure that we do have appropriate monitoring. We have programmatic officials that look at the programmatic aspects of the grants that are awarded with regard to the goals and objectives that were um, produced for that specific grant project. And then you have the grants staff that actually are very 
familiar with the uniform guidance, uh, which is um, which is the regulatory information that the different federal agencies have to apply as they are awarding their federal grants. And so we have grant staff that are trained um, particularly to look at the prime grant recipient and to see what types of business processes that they use in order to carry out the the actual grant if they are if they are the only um, entity that's handling the implementation of the grant and or if they have subawards under under the prime then we are looking at you know the particular monitoring practices that the prime uses to actually monitor the subawards that are under them so we do have various um, administrative requirements and various practices across the federal government and within uh, DOI we also have uh, these types of practices for monitoring the grants. Okay and actually I want to throw out one more question then we'll go on to the kind of I want to hear what you guys recommended as far as uh, from the paper but uh, I saw an interesting question I think you guys did a panel on this at the PDT and I think somebody had asked uh, they noticed that a lot of the, the people that took the survey had a you know were very new to the grants management process um, you know so that's, that's sort of surprising that a large percentage of them were in that area you know why, why why might that be that there's so many folks with not a lot of experience in that area yet even though they're doing the work well, I think I think there's a number of, of reasons for that um, first being that um, they may be new in the field there's a lot of turnover uh, in the grants area sometimes programs may not be continuing so you get new people involved uh, I think you know as as we are going getting into a new um, you know millennial with regards to the workforce changing uh, many people get assigned to grants management that may not have had that experience I also think that it's the the functions activities often are um, maybe delegated to various individuals who uh, have a passion about that particular program but may not have the experience to they may have the experience on on, on working with the individuals that are recipients of the of the award right. but may not have the administrative type responsibilities and experience yeah, so uh, I, as an example we did a training course up in the New York region and class of about 25 or 30 um, the majority of the class had less than two years experience uh, administering grants and in fact we had people in the class classroom that had uh, as little as two weeks experience wow. and probably only one or two folks in that room that uh, had gray hair <laughs> and they were about to retire and, right. that, and that of course is the big issue the graying of the of the workforce mm -hmm. sure so I think it's interesting that when you look at the grants management specialist or the grants management officers, it's, uh, there are no formal requirements to get into that field. So I think one of the key reasons why you're seeing a lot of folks gravitate there is it's a great way to get a breadth of experience mm -hmm. um, it, because grants handles uh, so much. You've got finance, you've got budget, you've got programmatic, you have compliance, it just goes on and on. Um, at HHS, with the majority of the, the funding and grants going out from HHS, it's good for a resume to know what's going on in the grants realm. So I think that a lot of younger people and newer people are recognizing that, so I don't necessarily rec see that as a bad thing. Right. Um, however, it, it is certainly a concern when it comes out in a survey, so you want to dive into that a little bit deeper. Sure, and I'm sure, I mean, compared to the volume of dollars that go out the door, there's just no way you're gonna have the amount of, you know, people to, to help monitor this stuff. I mean, it's just, compared, you know, money for actual administration and, and oversight, you know, there's not a huge chunk of funds compared to the total amount of 
grants going out the door? I mean, how do you manage every single recipient? Well, so that's great because from the resource, and, and you're talking resources, and yeah. that comes up every single time, uh, do more with less. We recognize that it's awesome to sit and talk with our millennials and get their ideas about how to do these things. They're talking about virtual site visits. They're talking about Uber, yeah. Uber apps yeah. for running how you can do site visits. Um, we're getting so much feedback, it's great. If you engage the community and listen to the community, we're using user-centered design for what we're doing at HHS. And if you really listen to what they're telling you, you will come up with some ideas that are gonna, I would say, be uh, mind-blowing to the grants community. Absolutely. Yeah, and automation tools, RPA, AI, who knows, right? All those things can hopefully help you, you know, reach out to a bigger a bigger group or the whole entire group to some degree, touch it, you know, touch on that. Yep. So what do we talk about recommendations here? I think, uh, Jim, you had some uh, some thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so as a result of the survey, there were uh, some ideas put out there for consideration by OMB in terms of what they could provide in the way of uh, guidance in the future. Uh, to address the monitoring challenges, uh, awarding agencies sh uh, should conduct pre-award risk assessments to narrow down and focus monitoring efforts. Um, this gets back to doing more with less. Um, however, awarding agencies need to take a holistic approach to monitoring. Uh, pre-award assessments are but one piece of information as each step in the grant life cycle yields valuable information that uh, should also be captured and can be used to conduct a risk-based evaluation of the entity's entire uh, award portfolio. So for example, some of those risks might be new recipients, new programs, inherently risky programs, prior audit and monitoring findings, or the dollar side of the size of the awards. <coughs> Based on uh, this evaluation, awarding entities can plan and focus their monitoring efforts better. So question on that. So the pre-award uh, pre uh, risk assessments. Now, I guess some some of that does happen today, though, right? It's not, but it's just not every, all grants are? Yes. Um, it's a requirement now, mm -hmm. uh, especially with new awardings, um, that uh, the awarding agency do an assessment of the intended recipients okay. to okay. see if they have the uh, fiscal and administrative capability to administer their awards. Okay. So you're just pointing out the critical importance of this piece of the process. Yes. Right. It's it's incredible that um, the risk assessment can tell you so much about a potential recipient. Um, it is amazingly time consuming. On average, we're estimating it takes about four hours to do a risk assessment at HHS of an entity. Um, I've been told that's on the low end. All right. <laughs> uh, but it, it's interesting. That's where we went right away with the work we're doing. Uh, we've created a, a what we call the grant recipient digital dossier. We've been able to take four hours worth of work down to 15 minutes. Oh, that's great. Wow. Uh, so this should be a, a, a nice nice burden reduction tool for the federal side of the house, and obviously we're looking at burden reduction tools for the recipients. So if we don't create efficiencies in the federal government, mm -hmm. you're not going to see efficiencies passed on to the recipients. So Mike brings up a good point. These, these are tools that other awarding agencies can use, and might be a good point to talk about the Q, uh, QMSO. Uh, absolutely. So HHS has been pre-designated pre as a quality service management office under cross-agency priority goal five of the president's management agenda. So there's another mouthful for you. <laughs> uh, this is uh, unique. Uh, it's a new way of managing the marketplace of shared services. And so I, I have always had that vision within the reInvent Grants Management Project that we need to be doing stuff in HHS that could be utilized further than just HHS. Right. 
and the work that we're doing right now certainly will have an impact to the QSMO. Uh, it will also, uh, based right now on the grassroots efforts of just demoing the tool that we have available, there's a, it's getting verified that folks really need this, they want this, uh, they're seeing it, the tool as one of the comments we heard was light years ahead of what an agency has right now. And so this could be really groundbreaking and we're, we're looking forward to having it ATO'd and available within the HHS community, but we are also moving to make it available, put it behind grants.gov so that it would be available to all communities. Sounds great. All right, what's another good one there, Jim? So. Uh, for challenges in applying the cost principles, uh, one of the recommendations was that it's essential that each item of cost incurred for the same purpose be treated consistently in like circumstances, either as a direct or an indirect cost. Um, grant recipients should have in place a financial management system that ensures all incurred costs are supported by adequate documentation and are, and are incurred during the allowable time frame. Um, with respect to the confusion around uh, procurement requirements, uh, primarily they related to questions about standards, which standards should be followed, the federal standards or the recipient standards. It is always the more restrictive set of standards that must be followed. Um, related to this one, uh, uh, one conference at, uh, attendee asked about uh, procurement thresholds. So to let everybody know, the uh, micro-purchase threshold went from 3,500 to 10,000 and the uh, uh, small simplified acquisition, I call them small purchases, um, uh, level has ridden to uh, 250000 under the 2018 uh, National Defense uh, Authorization Act and OMB Memo uh, M1918, another mouthful. Mm -hmm. uh, so that took place back in 18. Um, so survey responses also indicated that uh, OMB could provide more flexibility in waiving prior approval requirements and provide access to more grants management training. Uh, we're going to talk about training a little bit later in uh, the response uh, responses. Um, OMB could also take the lead by adding uh, the condition of uh, prospective recipients control documentation to pre-award pre risk assessments. Um, OMB and federal awarding agencies could also determine the percentage of administrative funds within federal awards that may be dedicated, dedicated to upgrading business processes and control documentation. Uh, right now, in large awards, you might have anywhere between 3 and 10% allocated to administration, and in some cases, depending upon the organization, that might not be enough. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. It's just, it seems like a small percentage for such a large amount of money that that's, that's all you have well, for admin. But you could supplement that with tools and technology, right? So we, we used to have, when I was at Justice, we used to have a constant fight uh, uh, with the Hill um, over whether or not indirect costs would be allowed in a program they were creating. It was especially impactful on the tribal organizations. And so I recall one time preparing testimony uh, for the agency in which we said, which part of the heat, light, air conditioning, and accounting system don't you need to run this program? Um, and it's unfortunate because there have been scandals where uh, unallowable costs have been buried in indirect cost pools. And uh, some very famous ones involving some very large universities that had uh, a lot of congressional uh, support. 
And so the knee-jerk reaction was to, let's just not allow indirect costs. And there's also a misperception out there that indirect costs are like a slush fund. They're right. not re really meaningful. They don't help you implement the program. When in fact, they're absolutely essential. Yeah, and that's why you need the good accountants to make all that clear. <laughs> so, um, yeah, why don't we go into some of that training that you, you talked about there and some certification ideas too. Yes. Um, so. The most significant recommendation, I believe, coming out of the survey was the identification of a need for training and certification of the grant management workforce, both federal and recipient staff. Um, and I think we have some supporters in the room for that, for that notion. Um, one attendee at our, at our PDT session noted in amazement the lack of experience held by survey respondents, which we talked about earlier, um, or that they only knew their piece of the life cycle. Um, Oftentimes what happens, people, in my experience, uh, people, some of my recipients would be sitting in their office and the boss would come in and literally in the old days hand them a box of files and say, you're now the grants manager for our organization. Mm -hmm. And in other cases, people might process payments but have no other part in the life cycle because they're processing other payments too unrelated to grants. Um, it's highly important that folks understand where they fit into the process. Um, various federal awarding agencies are currently engaged in identifying grant management competencies, required training, and are beginning to move in the direction, direction of certification, very similar to the DOD requirements that their financial management staff be certified. And civilian, civilian agency access to certified government financial management certification. Um, and here's an area where I think both Andrea um, and Mike can uh, provide some additional insight as to uh, where they're going with this. So definitely within Interior we are moving in the area um, of certifying all of the grant officials, the grant specialists and the grant officers um, and similar to as you said in the financial management realm but also in the contracting realm where you have to have warrants to award contracts at certain uh, threshold dollar threshold levels um, and also you have to have certain certification, uh, cer you have to have taken certain uh, classes and had certain levels of experience in order to move to certain certain certification levels. So that is the, the methodology that we are invoking at DOI currently with regard to our grant specialists and our grants officers. Um, it, I think it's well embraced as far as everyone wants to have training specifically in areas where they often had only experience in one particular part of the life cycle. Let's say um, they only do the pre-award where they collect the applications in, they run the peer review panels and so forth and then they um, are part of doing the, the indirect costs, um, looking at the indirect cost plans that come in um, and to determine whether we're going to apply them to a particular grantee as, they, as we decide what that funding level is going to be. And let's say that still that same grant specialist would love to learn how to do um, the cost analysis and to determine what costs that are presented in that application budget are going to be allowable under the uniform guidance. Well, let's all know that the uniform guidance is pretty thick and the information in it can, can appear um, pretty detailed and, and, and it can look very murky to someone who's not trained in grants management. The words become blurred 
or they don't understand the meanings and so forth. So you can say, oh, just look in the uniform guidance. It'll tell you how to do a cost analysis. It'll tell you which costs are allowable. But if you don't have the background experience and someone training you or a mentor also, then it, it actually can be a little difficult to decipher what's in the uniform guidance. So at DOI, yes, we're moving in the direction not only of training and certification um, and different levels of certification, similar to what's in the acquisition realm in the federal government, but also we're looking at training people across the entire life cycle uh, of grants because we know that there are people um, that have come in with grants experience. It may only be in the closeout section. Mm -hmm. They may only have ever learned how to do cl grant closeouts, but they never learned the beginning part. They right. never learned how to do the monitoring part. So we'd like to train people across the board um, cradle to grave, as one might say, or another terminology, we'd like to give them the whole elephant, mm. not <laughs> just the ear of the elephant. You know, we'd like them to have to learn the whole entire elephant of grants. So, so one of the things we did along that line at Justice, uh, very similar to what you're suggesting, was uh, uh, we we were blessed with the opportunity of uh, under the Crime Act increasing funding for a number of years. So that gave us the resources to do this. Not everybody could do it, uh, but sa having said that. Um, we created an organization, we created career paths, we created a core curriculum that everybody had to adhere to, um, and it was designed to apply to every level of their progression through their career, um, mentoring uh, and rotation programs. And so this way we could take staff and, and avoid that mm -hmm. trap where they just process payments or process financial reports, and they rotated through every aspect of the life cycle. So I, I'd love to chime in on this one because training is one of the initiatives that I've undertaken at HHS and it's gotten such a, a foothold and such excitement that our Office of Grants has recently developed the Division of Workforce Development. And that is the group that is going to lead training for HHS from a department level. We have great training going on in, in pockets throughout the organization, but to what Andrea and Jim both said, we are now determining what are the core competencies and portable skills that you need for grants management. And we need to figure out what the electives are that sit around those. Because think about single audits. There's some grantors that really, in, in the grants community, grants management specialists, who really care about single audit, but there are a lot of accountants that care, care about it as well. Not everybody wants to take that elective, but they have the option to learn what grants management is and this is not to a system, not learning grants <laughs> managed in a system, because I think that's kind of the quagmire that we're caught in right now. We train to the systems that we use and not to the, the, the skills that you need for grants management. So we're going to try to change that paradigm. Um, super excited. We've got phase one going on with our grants community. Um, it's going to do exactly what I just talked about. Phase two is going to be program office community, and phase three is going to focus on the grant recipient community. So there's a lot to come, a lot of excitement, and, and even more on this one. We have reached out to uh, other uh, departments across the federal government. We now have 13 in a working group, and we're trying to build this from a government-wide perspective. We're starting with HHS, obviously, but this is something so important to grants management, and everybody recognizes it, that we have as I said at the beginning, a lot of excitement to get this going. So one of the aspects of, of what Mike's talking about is, and, and one of the challenges for the community, is 
the fact that grants management covers so many different competencies and to just name a few. And, and most importantly, the existing certification that exists doesn't cover a lot of these areas. So performance measurement, performance metrics, independent cost assessments, a deep dive into procurement to where somebody might be, if you're in a grant program environment where contracting is heavy, like construction, um, you're going to want to have people that almost have that DOEA level certification capability in addition to being a grant manager. And so it's very important as, as we develop that curriculum and future certifications uh, in grant management that we incorporate those uh, high-skilled areas in, in the curriculum that underlies the certification. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a few minutes left, so why don't we, uh, so beyond training, let's ask uh, Andrea and Mike here just other ways that your agencies are kind of helping to, to, to move things forward with grants. Maybe we start with Andrea in the interior. So I can basically say um, that at DOI, we are looking at grantee reporting um, and looking at, uh, looking, looking to use that data in a better way. So for instance, we receive currently progress reports, evaluation reports from evaluators, financial reports, we used to call them financial status reports, so change the name of them, uh, but some of us old people still call them the same, <laughs> what they used to be called a long time ago. Um, and then we receive the audit reports that Mike was referring to, the Single Audit Act audits. And so basically, you had um, the program people looking at the progress reports and the evaluation reports, but nobody else ever saw the data. And so holistically, we didn't pull the programmatic data, the evaluation data, the financial data, which the grant specialist people look at the financial data, and you know, in, in a typical um, environment, also the single audit act data in order to determine you know, how the particular grant entity is doing overarchingly and then looking at dropping down to the program level, the project level, to see how the entity is doing with the specific project. But holistically, grabbing all that data and building a big picture of that particular uh, grant entity and then looking at the various projects that they manage, that hasn't really been done. So that's something that we're looking at. We're um, going to also use better technology at DOI um, with regard to uh, looking at the data, for instance. So currently we have, um, we're looking at pilots where we use process robotics to actually um, implement some of the mechanical day-to-day -day types of uh, processes, business processes in the grant environment. Um, and then we're looking at APIs um, in order to grab the data from these different reports and also to grab the data from what the, the robots, the, the, the bots are doing, and to create this, this overarching um, vision of these particular grant entities in a snap. So we're looking at the dashboards that can be created using the newer technology, um, as I said, to, to grab the reporting data and to, and to grab it from various places without having to build really massive interfaces. So that's what the APIs are used for they can traverse across the different um, the, the different systems, and including the internet, um, so that we can go to, let's say, states. Let's say we awarded several grants to a particular state um, across DOI, different programs, but we can actually go to that state portal and use an API to grab dif different information from the state's portal, and then it can um, be uh, assimilated with the data that we 
already gather at DOI, and then it can help us build that big picture. The other thing that we're using, um, that we're looking at is a pilot on artificial intelligence that not only does what you normally are accustomed to with regard to business intelligence and trend analysis, but also looking at once we have these dashboards, what are some of the predictive things that um, we didn't think of? Like when you look at the data, how is it uh, interrelated and, and then how can it predict certain other outcomes that we maybe didn't think to look for? And so these are the new things that DOI is doing moving forward. Um, I think you mentioned earlier about resources. Right. And so if you wanted to do this the old way, you know, if we said, okay, we're going to, you know, look at the program reports, the evaluation reports, the finance reports, single audit reports, and any other information out on the internet regarding these grant entities and in other aspects, normally it would take hours and hours and days right. for a person to actually try to grab all this data, look at it, you know, reconcile it, go back and look for errors, et cetera. Well, using the newer technology, we train the technology, uh, the artificial intelligence, to look for certain anomalies, to look for certain um, key things in the data, and then it can pull together a report just in a snap. So it cuts down, like Mike said, it cuts something down from four hours to 15 minutes to 10 minutes, um, even less time, depending on what it is we've trained it to do. And so looking at the newer technologies and how to um, assess grantee reporting and, and do a bigger picture, draw the bigger picture, which will help us in turn make better decisions internally um, with regard to using taxpayers' dollars better. So that's where we're headed. It's really fun stuff. <laughs> I think that initially, um, you know, when we were thinking, oh, we're going to use process robotics or right. we're going to use artificial intelligence, people were a little nervous. <laughs> Uh, thinking, oh, are you trying to replace us? You know, so no, now that they're getting accustomed to seeing some of the things that we could never, you know, we never were able to get to. It was the, you know, the low value work that, that we were stuck on because it takes so many hours to do it and so many man, manpower, so much manpower and so many people, we never got to the higher value work. We never got to looking at the trends and, the, and doing the, the top level analysis and trying to look for predictive things. So this is the direction that we're moving in and everybody's very excited about it. And I, and I think that will help at the recipient level when, when you really get into some of the survey results and kind of looking at, what are some of the pains that they feel? It's it's a lot of it is around the lack of standardization, lack of tools available, and so that type of knowledge that you gain, I think, will help the recipients mm -hmm. of federal money to to better manage those funds too. Yeah, and Andrea brought up a good point about the robotics and how it enables us. So the ideal grant management lifecycle model is one in which every step in the process yields up information. And that information all goes back into a central repository. And that's where your knowledge management, well, both your monitors who are going to use that to do risk assessments mm -hmm. and your knowledge management folks who are going to update your policies, update your training, create new training, um, and constantly improve the process uh, based on the information that is coming back real time all the time. Exactly. Right. And I'll just throw in here a pitch. We had a podcast here previously with Treasury on their data lab for USA Spending. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But I love how they use the visualizations and some of the things you're talking about to aggregate all this data on, say, grant recipients throughout the nation. You know, where are they? Who, which agencies give out which funds to which people and the overlap? And it's very interesting. It just exactly. starts to give you that big picture with uh, the tools that you have out there. Just analyze it visually. So I love that stuff. 
So why don't we give uh, Mike here the last uh, the last say as we're wrapping up. Let us know what you guys are doing. Well, for closing thought, we have been using user-centered design or human-centered design. And I think that's paramount here. Um, we've learned key things. One is focus on the recipient. Um, we've been focusing on the awards forever and a day. And when we start to focus on the recipient, we can start to link way more information together than we can by focusing on those awards. The second thing that we've learned is you got to structure data. You got to more structure through the process. Mm -hmm. um, we would ask, in, and this was with recipients, we would go out, we would talk to them, and we would say, what do you like more? You're doing an application. Do you like structured or unstructured when you're responding? And every single time the first question was unstructured, please. And they want to be able to put as much puffery in. And I get it because we've all written term papers. We've all you know, read abstracts, obviously, in this room. Um, you can add some really you know, great wording in there. Every question that we asked them after that initial question where they said, we don't want structure, said, we want structure. Mm. Every single one of them. And finally, co-location of materials. Um, it, it's the same thing as going to your doctor's office, and I, we've all been there. When you walk in and, and are you a new patient, and you sit down and you fill out 15 to 20 minutes worth of forms, and you get referred to a radiologist, and you fill out the same forms for the radiologist, then you fill out the same forms for the specialist, and you fill out the same form for the, for the labs, that's what we're doing to our recipients right now. And it's a, it's, it's a nightmare for them. We still have to manage all that because we get audited, and if we don't have those forms, guess what? There's a problem. And just in one agency. Just you in might one agency. Have different programs issuing grants to the same recipient, and every one of them has a different address or spelling of the name of that recipient in their systems. Exactly. And so uh, to that point, we have taken that to heart in everything that we're doing. I've got seven initiatives. I've only talked about two of them. But it's literally looking at what, what do the users want and how do we make the change from the federal side that will decrease burden, not just for the federal government, but for the recipient as well. Absolutely. Well, I think with that, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap it up here. I really want to thank all of you, not just for being here, but for doing that survey, that paper. I think that's a great thing. And uh, again, I think there's many more podcasts we could do on grants. So uh, maybe I'll see you guys in the future. But thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org is where we have all our podcasts. Have a nice growing list. Have many more to come this year. If you're looking for an interesting speaker or topic, feel free to reach out to us. So until next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks.